Hi, welcome to the No Guts, No Galaxy Mech Warrior podcast number four. My name is Phil, and I'll be your host tonight. It is November 22nd, 2011. Tonight, we've got a special guest, but we've got some returners. We've got Darren, Brandon, Greg, and tonight, we have Ben. Now, Ben is the leader of, uh, or one of the leaders of uh, the 12th Vegan Raiders. I call him Vegan. Um, so, uh... You want to kick off the the shout outs tonight there, uh, Ben? Sure. Gotta give my shout out to uh, my 12th VR bros. Alright, there we have it. Alright, Darren. Who do you got tonight? Uh, Just my usual uh, shout out to all my friends in Wolves in Exile and Tin Can Heroes. Alright, Brandon? Oh, and I do want to add a a big thank you to Alex, who's doing all of our uh, audio recording now. Yes, our Scott. We're putting him to work. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Brandon, how about you? Uh, tonight I want to thank the development team for MechWarrior Online for all the hard work they're doing and all the information they're pumping out. So I just want to say, keep up the hard work there, Comstar. Yes, you've been labeled Comstar now, guys. And I'm going to give a shout-out to our graphic designer for our website, Wayne P. Awesome job. Love it. We're looking forward to uh, getting more, uh, more stuff from him. And if you haven't yes. seen it, that's the ammo crate. Now he did all that and whatnot, and we were stoked about that. So great, great work job. on the logo, bud. All right, so a lot to talk about tonight. This is going to be a lengthy one. Uh, we're going to try to get through it as quickly as possible, but we don't want to squ- skimp out on the the quality of conversation here. Um, last Wednesday, uh, well, I should say, before we go any further, we will be switching over to a Wednesday podcast. This is uh, just sort of in conjunction with what's being released on Wednesdays. We think it'd just work a little bit better. So tonight, what we're going to be doing is talking about last Wednesday, and we will also be recording tomorrow well, uh, as well. And tomorrow, supposedly, something new or interesting. Uh, we don't know really what it is, but I'm sure we'll talk about it tomorrow. So tonight, we're going to be going over the community questions and answers. Um, so first off, uh, sort of some hype about this Uh, the cool thing is uh brian created a thread on the forums and he allowed us the public to basically post questions regarding stuff on the facts and whatnot and uh a lot of guys actually posted some really really thoughtful stuff and it was actually pretty interesting which ones they picked and uh go from there so uh what we'll do is we'll look at from top to bottom um i'll read the question sort of get what they said, the gist of it, and uh, get some feedback from the guys here. So uh, let's uh, let's just dive right into it. So the first question is, what are you going, what are you doing to get the sense of scale right for piloting in giant battle mech? So basically, big robots, war machines. Uh, Brandon, you want to kick us off with their, their sort of answer here? Oh uh, yeah, sure. Um, Dennis says uh, right from the beginning, the importance is accuracy re- representing the scale of the mechs was evident. Uh, depending on the world assets uh, alone for size comparison was not enough. The mechs had to be able to stand alone and still and be convincing in their uh, scale. So basically, they want them not only to look big. Uh, amongst things in the world, but they're also going to add, like, uh, they said the example here, 
uh, overhead bulk, ladder rings, hatches, tie downs, everything like that on the mechs to make them look like, oh hey, this is actually a really big battle mech. And I think a key thing, and, and you guys can pop up here, remember MechWarrior 3, the amount of detail as far as, you know, it looked, I think, out, uh, Greg, you said it last time, is it looked dark and gritty, and then MechWarrior 4 was cartoony, and there was a lack of, you know, just sort of realism in the environment. I mean, yeah, it sort of was the, 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 the capability of the engines and, and graphics and performance back then, but, um, you know, having basically you know if there's a trash can there you're gonna be able to tell it's a trash can at least that's what i'm reading i mean is that what you guys are sort of seeing darren greg we've talked a lot about this in the past um t to me this is a, a an important issue the the whole sense of scale and and their answer pleases me it seems like they're getting uh the right thing it's it's details it's small objects you know it's not just like you have a flat plane map with a few you know 10 story buildings on it and you're supposed to feel like oh i'm in a big mech it's it's all the details and um i know we've used it to death in the past as a comparison but <clears throat> we've uh, played a lot on those world of tank maps and i think that's one of the things that they do really well it's the little tiny details that really give it the sense of scale it's not the big buildings that make it feel big it's all the other stuff and uh i think that's really important i think it's something that's been lacking in the mech games is you you feel more like it's just a first-person shooter and you happen to be a mech where I want to feel like I'm in this, you know, uh, two, three-story tall... War uh, machine of death. Yes, exactly. All right. Yeah, all I got to right. agree there. I mean, I don't think mech warriors... I mean, saying mech warrior 4 gotta, gets a pass because of the computing power back then. I mean, obviously 3 no, I was, comes before I was 4. saying mech 3 was better as far as... Uh, yeah. to me than mech 4 i mean personally no i'm with you it was much much better <laughs> in gameplay in graphics in customization i thought uh 4 was a big step back for the franchise in general what about you ben um you know obviously you've got some some history with playing the games and stuff i mean what was sort of i, I guess the question would be um is this is this something that you feel uh like, to what amount of detail do you think they need to go into? Well, when I think about it, it's going to come down to how they populate their world. I, I think, obviously, they've talked at length about wanting to do urban environments. I mean, if you go, just like it was mentioned before, you can throw up 10-story buildings because, oh, hey, look, this mech is just as big as this building. And you kind of get the scale, but you don't get the the atmosphere that you guys were talking about, like MechWarrior 3 did really well. So we'll, we'll need to see if when they do the urban environments, are, they, are these lanes they have in the in the cities are they gonna be claustrophobic are we gonna see ruins on the ground we see busted up cars to get some scale about how big the feet are on the mech i think that's what's gonna kind of set it apart scale wise if they want to go down that route and i think one of the the, the personal for me is not only uh, the details uh, but all the other games uh, as far as mechs and some of the games out there right now one of the things i think what happens is they they try to go for something crazy in this visual you know it's almost like if i stepped out my door and i was walking down the street that's sort of the the look and feel i want to see you know all the little details as far as you know uh you know lamp post and you know uh, oh there's a mailbox or oh there's a building or a barbershop just just little stuff like that to where it's realistic now you know when you're when you're throwing out realistic uh in a uh, fictional sort of you know 
context there because we're talking about battle mechs and the BattleTech universe. But I, I'm thrilled with their answer, and we don't want to stick on this too long. But it's definitely, I think the, they're going to hit it right on the head. And I think with the technology, and we'll get in with that later, that we're going to see something that's eye popping and and hopefully, um, you know, captures sort of the essence. It's it's about realism and immersion, and you know a lot of the newer games are doing that, and, and it's probably it has a lot to do with the game engines, and and uh, you know I think that's that's what we need to see. It's um, World of Tanks or Battlefield Three or whatever, but throw a mech in there. All right, let's move on to the next one. Next question: I assume that gameplay will be in the form of some type of match system. If so, how long would you estimate a typical match would last? Um, now, Paul answered this one. He said, right now, we're thinking a normal match with objectives would take approximately 20 minutes. But please keep in mind, this is number This number might change through gameplay testing. Um, now, some people on the forums are screaming foul, like, oh, you know, battles last for hours. I'm gonna... And again, once we get more information on how the drop system is going to work and whatnot, but this sort of screams to me right off the bat of, you know, similar to what happens in World of Tanks. World of Tanks rounds were around 15 minutes. Now, they didn't say matches had a timer. They said approximately matches round take 20 minutes. So keep that in mind for all you naysayers out there. But, um, you know, I mean, is that, from the gameplay's perspective, are you guys wanting to be in a match that lasts for hours and hours and hours, considering you may only have one life? I think 20 minutes is a pretty good, uh, you know, uh, time for a round. I mean, and they didn't distinguish whether this was a public match or if it was clan play or none of that. So, I mean, 20 minutes, does that seem like a good in and out for you guys? That seems reasonable to me. I mean, I'm coming from a League of Legends standpoint, games go from anywhere from 20 to 100 minutes. Or no, not, not quite that long. Uh, 20 to 80 minutes, I'd say, is the range that I've ever been in, with most of them falling around the 40 to 45 minute mark. And at that point, I have a perception about the game that I can go in and, quote, play a quick game. You know, it's something that I can get in. You're not tied down for do hours. Stuff. Right, whereas, you know, even line taking the other game that I play, if I log in, I sort of have to mentally be like, okay, it, it might take like two or three hours for me to actually get something going here. We have an eight-hour pause bash. You must be a... <laughs> yeah, definitely. But on the other hand... On the other hand, like, I would like to see some options for some kind of, maybe this is the clan play or the conquest play, but sort of in those epic rolling fights that we hear about in the succession wars and the early parts of the clan invasion, you've sort of got this running fight that's going across a, a gigantic plain or in the middle of a city that maybe it does take hours to complete with different pilots, you know, coming in, fighting, going back for repairs, and other pilots coming in to replace them, that kind of thing, before the thing is finished. Not a clean 4 versus 4 and that's the match kind of environment. Yeah, it opens up a whole other realm when you're talking about PV, and, and we'll talk about the shortly, that's another question on here, but... I, I, don't, I, I don't personally like questions like this. I feel like you're, we're trying to put everything into a box and, and, and you know, make it all tidy. Um, I've... Personally, I mean, maybe we're talking the difference between uh, battles and wars. You know, battles may be 20 minutes or whatever it ends up being, but wars for a planet or for whatever might take longer. You know, I, I, I don't like trying to... I want to know right down to the second how long each match is going to be. 
Yeah, and I think one thing that the key part to this question that is still missing is match system. You know, the, this answer they they weren't specific in. Are we talking? You know, what type of? You know, none. All that is is not given to us. So uh, I don't think we need to talk about this too long. But just keep in mind. Oh, um. uh, hold on, Brandon. I, I think just keep in mind that there is going to be a difference in in clan and merc corps when i say clan uh, merc corp play and, and regular drops and whatnot i think there will be a difference in sort of what the average time is for a drop so you know the strategic value to the just hop on and blow everything to hell sort of you know difference go ahead brian as with the um the time there where it says approximately 20 minutes everything like from playing a bunch of different games like counter-strike battlefield that sort of thing uh, a pub server, that, yeah, 20 minutes is usually the uh, regular time. But as we are saying, with the Merc lances and everything like that in the Conquest mode, I would actually like to see that a little bit longer. Like uh, uh, Alex said earlier, the big rolling battles and everything like that. But one more thing I do want to point out is that right right in the sentence there, it actually mentions objectives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we don't know if... Uh, we don't know if there's going to be more to this and, and I believe there is I mean they sort of lend it uh, with those, that sort of statement right there objectives approximately I mean there's no set I think what we're going to see is that separation of, of Lance play and working together and then not to mention I think it offers a, a, some opportunity for PV just like uh, Greg just said I mean imagine if, if and when uh, and when I guess is the correct answer the clans or PV is involved that you know you can just go on there and you, you do you drop with like eight of your buddies uh with your merc corp and you just try to last or do as many missions before you know set assets are destroyed but um let's move on because again we've got a lot of stuff um and i think we could just sort of spin the wheel on that one so a lot more information needed to basically get a feel for that but i, I do agree with darren there we don't, I don't i'm not too worried about the time so um so next question, what is your definition of tactical advantage? Can you provide examples? Is there an end game theme park or is it open-ended sandbox? Um, now, one of the key things that the developers have been talking about is the uh, tactical advantage as far as information warfare and like all that. So Paul basically answers um, the tactical advantage basically having more information than your opponent. Um, so that could be strictly numbers in the game, um, calculated odds, uh, you know, on one side maybe. Um, they're looking at both perspectives, uh, and if you're reading the answer, it's it's a pretty lengthy one. I'm not going to read it. You guys can do that yourselves. But looks like they're saying they they basically want the players to have a statistical or a tactical advantage. Um, where basically their their chance of winning is increased um, by bad tuning. So again, tuning loadouts, your mech, or basically the balancing and whatnot. Um, so what what do you guys feel about that answer, and what do you sort of take out of that, Darren? Mm, let me think about it for a second more. Go ahead, somebody else. Next. I'll take a stab at it. Nice. Um, really, when I what I got from that answer was. They want it to be, like you're alluding to, it's more player-driven as far as the advantage. Just because you have information on your enemy, you, you know the disposition, you know how many they are, you know what their makeup is. Um, 
that can allow you to go, hey, you know what, let's not take these guys head on. Let's split into two groups. Let's do something like that. That's a tactical advantage if you know how to move your system, or not move your system, but move your units the way you want them to with all that information. That being said, um, that was only one part of the questions. Uh, the other part about the theme park and the sandbox was kind of not really answered, but I, I really don't think those two, theme park and sandbox, actually apply to the way they're thinking about implementing uh, the matchmaking yeah. system. Now, Matt states, and I think this is unique, if I can see you before you see me, that's a tactical advantage. I mean, that's even a real-world scenario in, in modern combat. Um, and so that lends itself to a few questions and speculation as far as, is there a line of sight? Um, you know, or is it just like all the other mech games where you could literally come around a corner and spot the enemy off in the distance and you already have an advantage? It may not be a big one, but at least you know the general direction now of the enemy, where they're traveling, or maybe you spotted a few of their mechs. So, I mean, even right there, that's a tactical advantage that, you know, gives you a one-up right then and there on the enemy because they don't have that exactly on you. I think this is an interesting uh, idea here that sort of line of sight, fog of war kind of thing. If you take a lot of combat games now, World Tanks, uh, Counter-Strike, I guess, to an extent, but or say Team Fortress 2. I mean, if you see a guy, he probably sees you. And games where there's some sort of information overlay, like a World of Tanks or an EVE Online, that's always true. Like, if you see someone on your overview in EVE, you're on their overview. Unless you're cloaked or something. So, it's there's no real information warfare advantage in that sense. They sort of have to code it in this idea of electronic warfare where it's a weapon and you activate it and it does stuff. But it's not real that gritty intelligence gathering, spotting the dude in binoculars from the bushes and then relaying it to the command post kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas if you did something with Battletech where there's maybe sensors involved and this would work well with uh, C3 if and when that gets added. You know, m maybe you need to actually rely on your scouts to relay where people are and what they're doing. And maybe those scouts aren't spotted and your unit isn't spotted automatically. So know, maybe that, that's how that like, Guardian ECM comes in. Yeah, and that sort of pops into my head, you know, the sort of the discussions going on of, and even their emphasis on why you'd want to be in a light mech and stuff. So if you're rolling around in a light to medium, uh, you know, group, say you've got two lances, and yeah, the other group has some assaults, have some heavies, but, you know, maybe their lights got taken out. So they have, you know, very, very limited information. Um, it allows you to basically get behind them, hit them, fade. You know, and when you're talking about if they're doing sort of a, you know, one life drop, you know, um, that can make all the difference. I mean, it, being able to, you determine where you're attacking or you determine the, the rules of engagement gives you, I mean, when you're playing on your own terms and you're not playing on someone else's, I mean, even on real life, other games, even uh, EVE, I mean, that gives you such a big advantage. I will just want to add real quick, you know, one of the things I always thought was funny as far as, you know, tactical and organized play, uh, when our units are going at it, one of the biggest sources of information 
that's available to everybody that no everybody seems to take for granted is a scoreboard because you can immediately see how many units are left in the game. I think that for for MD, uh, MWO to kind of be a little more uh, tactical in that nature to remove that element to go well uh, did we destroy those two mechs? Did we take out that guy? Oh, how many did you guys take out? I don't remember. That way there's a little more paranoia about are we facing the full force or did we actually do some damage to them and actually are facing a half-strength force now? Yeah, and it, I think what this ties into will be interesting the more and more information is the type of radar we've got. I mean, how do you detect uh, enemy units? Um, you know, the type of locking system. I mean, and all pretty much... Um, MWLL does this really well with the uh, uh, mechs and their GECM and whatnot, and going passive and active. And Mech 4 did that. Um, it was a little bit different. But MWLL does it really well in that uh, you'll get flankers, and you won't see them until they're right on top of you. And, you know, next thing you know, you've got some Thors or Thannies just blowing you away, and you're all long-range mechs. And, uh, you know, I think that sort of gauges into that tactical advantage and you know we'll, we'll get more info on that um, as the um, releases come so let's go ahead and move on to well just real quick one more thing if that's the way they go with it I think it's the unspoken assumption that should be spoken there is that are you gonna have like long-range mechs and short-range mechs like are there gonna be actual disadvantages say you have a Gauss rifle it's a powerful weapon no matter what the range is. I mean, in the board game, our tabletop game back in the day, there was actually a penalty if they were too close Yeah. Uh, for certain weapons. Now, on a lot of the computer games, that was not the case. I mean, if you hit someone point-blank with a PPC, it strikes just as hard as if you hit them super far away. In fact, it was even better because you were right on top of them and you could aim really well. So, if the advantage to information warfare is you're going to be able to sneak up on people and get on top of them without them noticing it, the other side of that coin is you got to make sure that there's actually distinct advantage if you do that, because otherwise you're just, I mean, you're you're having a slugfest, but it's not nearly as interesting because yeah, and, the and remember, dynamics weapon of range ranges, aren't there. Weapon ranges are completely different when we're talking about the 3049 uh, period too. I mean, we're not talking about. You know, combat isn't your 900 meter range. Uh, you know, it's your max, or I shouldn't say max, your long range, um, as far as I've, I've discerned, is around 600 meters. And, and it, pretty much all battles happen from that range inward. And, you know, it's that sort of nitty gritty dark feel. And I think that's what I love about that, that one picture of the hunchback and the Jenner. It's just that sort of in your face, just, just raw power. And that's where a lot of the battles occur, uh, at least from my understanding so um, you know how they implement that you're right is if you're long range is that uh, almost a penalty when someone gets short range on you and I like the idea because it's a consequence right you took a you took a gamble and either you gambled right or you gambled wrong and it'll affect you and I think that's why you have to rely on your your teammates as well so I guess we'll find out more um, any, anything else? I keep jumping ahead, so anybody else? You good? Uh, no, I think we're safe to move on. <laughs> All right, so next we got, um, and, and this is actually a uh, unique question because it got brought up on the forums, and I think we actually talked about this in the previous podcast, but it's, can players start a Merc Corp that is already canon? 
uh, or you or in faction unit names i.e. I want to start the uh, Aridini Light Horse you know Merc Corp uh, I'm the first to register the Merc Corp's name so it is mine or will I be able to join the uh, you know Waco Rangers and interact like I would a house unit um, the response was um, from Paul Merc Corp names are registered names once it's taken it's gone um, as for canon protected faction unit names, we will be locking out some of the key players in the Battletech timeline. Now, this isn't a huge problem, but one of the problems we were talking about um, uh, in the previous one was, uh, you know, if I'm Phelan Kel, and, you know, I'm the first one to register that name, but yet, you know, there's 200,000 people playing, guess what? There will be other guys who want to be Phelan Kel, and so instead of, you know... Uh, spelling it correctly they use a three here or you know so what did you guys take out of that response i mean is that are you guys happy with that sort of that it's being moderated to that effect yep definitely i'm happy that it's being moderated i have a feeling it's not going to be moderated as much as i would prefer but you know you gotta take what you get yeah because yeah. you guys gotta think too i mean with that many i mean there's already i mean there's so many uh groups you know recruiting and whatnot i actually just saw someone had posted you know Kellhounds, and the first person to post on the guy's thread was hey uh here's a link we've already started the Kellhounds." so it makes you wonder uh they didn't answer you know they didn't give us any information of how big our merc corp's gonna be um you know but i do like the moderation one of the things we talked about is if they are going to moderate, that means someone on the inside is going to have to go through those, or, or you might have to get it approved, or, you know, in that process, which takes away a little bit from the player, but again, I do like the fact that they'll moderate a little bit, and I think in the long run, that'll be a good call. So, instead of having ten different versions of the Wolf Dragoons, um, you know, we're going to have one, um, hopefully. At least that's what the response was. So, let us know if you guys like that or hate us, uh, hate it, because you know I understand from both perspectives. So, yeah, I think that's one that's short and simple. So we'll move on to the next. Um, at this point, how often would you guys like to introduce new content, store items, features, etc. per year? Uh, and the response was actually pretty interesting. It's from Paul. He said a bi-weekly release schedule would be ideal. Now he said would be ideal, so that's not you know the final answer um he basically said that he's played other um online games where the release wasn't uh you know they they just released every once in a while it wasn't like a set schedule and he said that was very frustrating um he said they'll be basically working with their art team and content to make sure there's items and maps out on a timely manner um and he said, content is the longest game development process, so we'll be working diligently to get you the stuff as soon as possible. Um, and then Matt, uh, and Matt is the um, producer, project planning and management, so this is pretty much, uh, you know, sort of his job. And he said, I would like to introduce new items all the time. New content takes the longest, but it would be great to have weekly patches. Um, so I'm going to open it up to you guys right off the bat. Ben, um, do you think this is an issue as far as they're putting too much on their plate or do you see a benefit 
Um, it's actually pretty interesting because this is actually the question I'd submitted. Look it up. Square's fair. I did this one. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, the whole thing is, it's just like they said, you know, they can, they're going to have a goal. They're going to go, hey, let's put some stuff out on a weekly basis. You got to think they're doing free to play. They want to have items, new and exciting items for their players to purchase from the store or try to get towards whether it's a goal that you can get within game or what the case may be. At the same time, when they say new items coming out, does that mean we're going to get a new decal on a mech? Does that mean a new mech? Obviously, those pieces of content take two different amounts of time to produce. So we'll see how it goes. Maybe they'll do like a giant release every quarter and, and maybe some small things every two weeks or so. Who knows? We'll see how it goes. Uh, Alec, I mean, how do you feel about this, especially with your experience with EVE? You know, they've got their uh, scheduled, you know, winter release, summer release. I mean, is that something that you would like, uh, you know, would suggest to the team if they were listening or, you know, sort of how do you feel about that sort of release schedule, like an actual set in stone or roundabout time frame? Well, the uh, CCP winter summer release schedule and several CSMs in a row have advised them to move away from it. I mean, it's good that they have like two periods in the year where they can really push from a marketing perspective, some new and exciting content. But the downside to that was, and to an extent still is, though they've gotten a lot better at this, they would develop things and then hold them off because they had this idea that, oh, we can't release substantive patches in between the release dates. And that was very frustrating. It led to them trying to do too much at once. It led to changes that were good for the game being postponed and then sometimes cut from the actual release. Uh, it, it just a, a, not a good setup. So I think something more like a League of Legends kind of thing, which I don't know if it's exactly bi-weekly, but it feels like they're always coming out with new stuff. Now, it might not always be like the most significant stuff, like they'll put out a new skin for one character. And then maybe every month or so they'll put out a new character that you can play or something like that. Yeah. I think that would probably be good. I, I think a bi-weekly that once every two weeks is pretty reasonable. Um, I don't... I'm hoping for a lot of initial content, like some decent mechs for us to play with. Some good variety there. And then I don't think that they really need to put, like, releasing new mechs in, in a breakneck pace. Yeah, because you don't want to every rush two, and stuff, three right? weeks, even a month, two months for a new mech would probably be fine. Because you want, I mean, while that mech is new, you kind of want gameplay to sell it around a little bit before you release another thing. A, so you can balance it, and B, so you get the maximum amount of newness out of a new feature. You know, a new feature yeah. is only new for so long. <laughs> yeah, you want to ride that wave. I think uh, once a week, once every other week, once a month, doesn't really matter. I think what's most important thing is that they're doing them and that they're doing them on schedule. Um, consistency is really big. If you start falling out of that consistent pattern, then rumors start going around. People start getting pissed because they expected to log on and find it or whatever, you know. Like, uh, I think they're only going to do themselves harm if they don't. And if they do stay on a schedule and stick to it and release decent, it's only going to help them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon, I, I what about you? I completely agree with what Ben said and what Alex said, because I mean, uh, my only question is, what sort of content are we going to see? I guess that's kind of going into what Ben said as well, where um, decals and whatnot will take less time, theoretically, than a new mag. 
or a new map and that sort of stuff. So I can see the bi-weekly thing becoming great for uh, cosmetic and then maybe even like a monthly uh, release date for something like a map or a new mech or something something big every month or something like that. Yeah, and I think having a release schedule, I think that'll help them. Obviously, I mean, we're talking about professionals, you know, they know what they're doing. Um, from a developer standpoint and from a player standpoint, uh, I think you, what you'll see is um, uh, s small things being introduced and every once in a while, you know, or maybe they do plan, a, hey, here's a new line of, you know, mechs or whatever, or my biggest thing playing, uh, you know, World of Tanks and these other games is probably maps. I would say maps is the biggest thing because, you know, depending on how many they release at the first, uh, yeah, the stuff gets old. Um, and it is a nice change of scene, not to mention it, it opens a new ballpark for new tactics, new gameplay, new strategies. Uh, and that sort of helps with the longevity of things and then spurs the new interest. But um, uh, this is actually a good question because when this someone actually posted and was complaining and oh you guys have eight months you're not going to have that much content for us and, and again i posted on there um and again i'm not part of the team and i'm not a professional developer but guys this game hasn't been in development they're only they're not only doing eight months uh, it's not like this game was announced and they're only doing eight months of work this game has been in development for years and most of it um, is documentation concepts and stuff and refining all that so I have faith in the, the guys down there and uh, you know obviously they'll release more you know as as we go along and uh, I think maps would be the biggest thing for me you know uh, I want I want to use a mech for a while uh, just sort of like Greg said I don't want everything to be available right off the bat because you know some designs do sort of uh, what would you guys think? Uh, me, I always think some designs sort of take away. Like, oh, why would I take that if I could take this? So yeah, right. I think maps definitely gonna be the hugest, and that's like so nice if you can do new maps because, uh, like any any online game, that seems to be the thing that goes stalest first. You know all the good hiding spots. You know all the good ammos or ammo drops or whatever. If there are upgrade items in the field, you figure out where they are. Um, in some games, that can be good in a way. League of Legends has maximized this. They'll have, I think they have like three maps that they work with, something like that. And all the players understand all these maps to a great degree. Now the maps themselves are very complex, but there is well understood objectives and advantages to getting them and it creates skirmish points. and. There's a lot of room for tactics, and these tactics are all understood, as are their counters. So it sort of creates a game dialogue. But on the other hand, a lot of shooter games, like Team Fortress 2 is classic here. Ah, second play on the same map over and over again. The visuals get boring, the gameplay gets boring. You know where the sniper's gonna be every time you're running the... <laughs> The, in the route to get the intelligence, you know the fastest way, you know that they're probably going to camp it there, and then if the camp's not there, then that's the way you go, there's really no other way. You, you know, the heavy and the medic, and you ram it, blah, 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 and it just gets boring. You know what I haven't seen in a game, that at least that I can recall, is something like random maps. I think that would be cool. And I actually just read that on the forums, someone was asking about, you know, randomly generated maps, and... I'm not saying it's not possible, guys, but I do know from a de developing standpoint of messing with um, 
the CryEngine 2, CryEngine 2 by the way, very very difficult to work with. Uh, it's not CryEngine 3, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, the only reason is, I say that is because we're talking about how maps are important, and of course they are. And I also yeah. know how much work they are to to build them. But like you take a game like World of Tanks that has somewhere around 26 maps. Most people think that the game only has like 10 or less maps because they feel like they play the same maps all the time. But what so what I'm saying is that even when you have a lot of maps. Um, you know, close to 30, it still feels like not enough. And so I'm wondering if that feeling of needing new maps ever goes away. It is possible. I know it's all about programming and, of course, the engine and whatnot. It is possible. And that would be cool, right? Because you would never... Maybe there's X set maps that are, you know, but then there's random. Yeah, I think it'd be... And you're always... Maybe we're not there yet. Yeah, Yeah. I don't know. That that would be awesome, though. My preference would be have maps but have them almost be unique to different places like don't have the same map for every city Uh, maybe we're confined to fighting over capitals on these planets or maybe a few locations in each planet but have these locations be unique and maybe that means they need to not release like every planet we can fight on in conquest mode right away maybe that's something they expand on but for instance to have um like planets in the Capellan Federation have a certain thematic style and then use that style to even if it's out of some standardized components but have the street grid different have maybe parks in different places there are some landmarks in cities that are unique I mean if you go to Washington DC it's a different layout than if you were to go to Philadelphia it's a different layout if you were to go to Reykjavik it's a different layout if you were to go to London completely different ways of organizing in all these different places, sometimes even in the same country. You just can't, like, the Chinatown, for instance, isn't always in the same spot. The residential area where all the buildings are low, some cities that's in the center, some cities that's on the outskirts, and skyscrapers are in the middle. Yeah, that's and that, that would be cool. That's that we need to be thinking about. Yeah, and, and again, you know, it's it, it may not be possible, and, and that may not be the scope. Maybe down the road, we don't know. Uh, but I would definitely be interested in that because every single every single drop, both teams would be at a disadvantage uh, or an advantage because there would be no, uh, you know, predetermined. You know, hey, we got to go here, or you know, this tactic works on this map, just like you were saying that. You know, every single time, well, you know, if we go here, we're gonna, you know, so. You know, more to be said about that. Um, again, we got to move on, guys. Uh, you know, we could probably talk about this, but definitely maps for me, and it seems like you guys would agree that, yeah, content would be great. You know, uh, obviously skins and decals and all that fun stuff, hula girls. Um, but maps, I think, would be the biggest thing for me. Is I, I just I just don't want to be stagnant, especially in in the the planetary. So let's move on to the next one. Uh, we got. Um, are we going to see new elements to the cockpit, such as 360 degrees squeezed and 180 degrees view bar mentioned so many times in the novels? Now, we did talk about this in the previous um, podcast. Um, here's their answer from David. He said the most prominent new addition to the cockpit will be elements dedicated to managing your infotech. Um, some of these, like different vision modes, have been seen basically in the other mech games. Uh, one thing we haven't seen, though, which we talked about is thermals magnus scan stuff like that that'd be really cool to see we'll see uh i do know and if you guys haven't played battlefield 3 battlefield 3 does had uh does have infrared 
has IR as well. Um, it's very, very cool. Um, he also says others such as data and images from your UAVs and remote sensors will be brand new to the MechWarrior Online. So right off the bat, what do you guys feel about um, UAVs and remote sensors? I mean, right off the bat, because remote sensors to me sounds like Mech Commander. That sounds like a commander said, you know, has X amount of whatever and says, hey, I need a sensor of, you know, this size or grid or whatever. And he pops it and boom, you get the info. So how about we start with uh, Ben? UAVs and sensors. Ah, that's that's a good question. Um, obviously, they're going to try. To, this is what I took from that. Th when you have the UAV and you have remote sensors, obviously, because they separated those two, they're going to give you two different types of information. UAVs are synonymous with you know getting remote camera images from the, the UAV. Remote sensors could be maybe that blip on the radar, like you said in, in Mech Commander. It's just like, oh, you know, it's a blip out there because of whatever, but you don't know what that blip is. Maybe they set the forest on fire, like they did in Mech Commander. Maybe that's an actual contact. We don't know at this point. So that, that I, I, it's pretty interesting to see what they're going to go on down that route. What about you, uh, Darren? What do you think of the UAVs and uh, remote sensors? Mm, we touched a lot on this already. Um... I mean, do you like the idea compared to what they've done in the past where, you know, all mechs have X amount of range on their sensors and... Absolutely. Yeah. The more um, the more complex it is, the more I like it. Uh, I guess it's really, I'm going to have to see how this, you know, fleshes out before I really have more of an, an opinion on it. All right. How about you, uh, Alec? Grig? Uh, I'm, I'm down for different uh, information that people can get. I mean, it's... <laughs> And like you mentioned, complexity. Uh, as long as there's a point to it, I think it's better. Um, if it gives you different types of information, those information can convey different things in different situations. Friggin' go for it. I don't want to have like I don't want to have a dominant sensor that completely outs out all these other features, and then they just wind up taking up space in the UI. That's not what we need. So yeah, as long keep as these things can a unique information that can tell you, that can convey different advantages in certain situations, that's the important thing. As long as they're balanced and useful, and the UI is somewhat intuitive for all of them, I'm all for it. And I'm for hula girls as well as uh, bobblehead failing cows. Nice. <laughs> yes. One of the things I want to draw your attention to is now their pitched video and stuff. When you guys watched that, that you know I had the the Warhammer and you know the the UAV popped up and one of the things I don't know if you guys realize this is the camera sort of switched to just what the UAV's seen so yes you're getting that tactical information and then the UAV was picking up two targets and it gave you know listed the mechs and whatnot and you actually visually saw but you're actually taken away from being inside the cockpit you know and so you're sort of vulnerable yeah you're gaining one thing but then you're losing another and I sort of like that idea of that you know it sort of puts that one person, maybe your commander or whatever, you know, they're sort of sitting back, you know, getting all this information, taking it in. And during this time, you have to protect your commander. You know, you have to let him know what's going on. You know, hey, boss, enemy's coming forward. You need to get ready. Uh, stuff like that. So, I mean, Brandon... Now that um, would be something interesting for InfoSec. If you can use your scouts to identify a command mech and then sneak up on him, he has no idea what's going on because he's looking at all these... Yeah high-level tactical information moving his units about 
You get off a couple quick shots without him even realizing what's going on, and he has to switch out of that view. That would be interesting. The thing that pops in my mind when I when I was thinking about that is being an FC in Eve and fighting and having metagaming, and they already know who the FC is. And so as soon as you start calling targets, you get primaried and blown the hell up, and it, it throws everything out the window. And that's why, like, a lot of FCs will be you know basically using dual accounts or they'll be you know cloaked up because as soon as you know so you can almost imagine put this in a battle tech you know perspective where you've got a company or greater or lance and you're dishing out commands because you're getting all this information you're telling people where to go and dropping all these probes and you know already strikes and then you get blown the hell up if you don't have that backup commander things quickly uh, i read this uh it was in the uh gray death um trilogy was the last no novel and basically they say it's attrition when one guy goes down possibly within the next 30 seconds you know a whole lance whole company can go down you know and uh the, i just sort of like that idea that you know that one strategic piece of a team if it goes out <laughs> you're screwed i'm gonna say that if they're gonna go if they're gonna go down that route which sounds great by the way um that would give you the iconic Cyclops back. That was a command mech. That's why it was a two-seater. Now, if they incorporate the two-seater where you have your commander and he actually has a pilot covering him by moving the mech around for him, that'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah. And would that course, be technically possible? Oh yeah, I believe so. With the right now, stuff done. And two different players though playing. I don't know. Um, that's that's something. Usually, uh, you know how it's always been said is the Cyclops. Uh, the, the Cyclops. Uh, particular basically has two seats uh, you know and from what I've understood is especially with the C3 computer and when you were talking about like planetary assaults um, it would actually have a dedicated comms tech inside uh, with the commander so because it's so much information coming in uh, you know from all it basically has a dedicated guy relaying all this information and he would basically you know he's a military guy he would pass on information that wouldn't be passed on I mean all the clutter and stuff you know he would basically weed out and I mean, obviously, I don't think we're talking about that complex where you're dealing with, you know, hundreds of, you know, but, you know, it's definitely, I think uh, it could be depending on how big maps are and how many players. So, and um, I don't want to stay on this too long, but basically they said is that they tried the whole 360 degree and we did talk about that prior, prior on the other podcast. And they said right now they're not doing it. They, they, they tried it, but it sort of took away from the fun gameplay. But the cold thing, and, and this is with all of their content, because of the model of, you know, free to play, they're able to basically get content and, and new stuff out there quickly and easily. So, you know, as gameplay and balance goes on, they may see something that could change it. And so just because they they say it's not in there right now, it, it's a possibility later. But they did say, and Matt, Matt said this, he said, Hula Girls, and I think we all agree um, that that's pretty cool. There's going to be, uh, you know, cockpit customization. I think we cover that in a little bit longer, uh, yeah. lower down. If I could just pipe up here uh, one time before we move on. Um, there seems to be such a huge focus on sensors and sensory devices that I wouldn't be surprised for um, if uh, you gentlemen, as you mentioned before, PK, that with a uh, mech commander. Who are you calling, gentlemen? Um, 
You, of course. Um, no, with Mech Commander, you had all the different sensors as well. You had your basic, you had your integrated, you had your advanced. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that come into play as well, uh, with each one having different ranges. Okay. I, I and I totally no, I totally agree. Uh, you know, I've, I've I said sorry, I was reading something else. Um, you know, assault mechs, heavy mechs. They they they'll have basic sensors, but their sensors may not be very far. You know, you yeah. may only get 250 meters, maybe 150, something like that, and that would put the the lighter and medium mechs in that role of again information technology and it you know or information warfare not technology um so yeah we'll find out more let's move on i know we could keep talking we, we, <laughs> we've got to go we've got to go so next question is and and we're going to make this one quick because there's not a whole lot into it but is this game going to have lots of servers like wow or are you hoping for a single persistent server world like eve online um and their answer is basically each game spawns on a dedicated server. Uh, it's not persistent like WoW. Um, they're basically saying that would take him into the MMO. And I think there's a little confusion here. Um, a lot of people think MMO, uh, they forget that MMO, Massive Multiplayer Online, basically means it is a persistent server. Everything's going on, uh, Eve, like nodes and stuff. Everything's happening in real. That's, I don't think that's gonna be the case and from what we read right here. There is, there is persistent game world information, i.e. match results are communicated to affect the balance of power in the inner sphere. Who owns what planet? There is no true per, true persistent world, more of persistent metagame. And so one of the things, it's just sort of like, uh, and I know some of you guys don't like me using World of Tanks. Uh, let's just talk about the mechanics here. Um, now, they host theirs. They're, they're an M MMO. They host it on their servers. But from what I've understood from this, and you guys pipe in here, is that it, you'll have a drop it, it may be on dedicated servers maybe that's hosted by you know units or maybe that's just hosted by whoever has the best system and ping or whatever and the battle goes down boom everything's done that information is then sent if it's you know dependent is then sent to you know the main you know hub where the information's gathered so it's not persistent as far as not all let's say 200,000 people who are playing this game are on one server it's different servers and information is being sent to sort of like the hub. I mean, is that what you guys are seeing? You're here? talking about like server clusters and so forth. Right now, World of Tanks uh, depends on what um, area you're talking about. There's Russia, there's Europe, the United States. The United States is on one server, but they're about to upgrade it to multiple clusters. Well, that's MMO. That means all, like, when you drop, you're actually on their server. And I think what they're saying is you'll have dedicated servers. When I hear dedicated servers, I think BF3. You know, dedicated. You actually either pay to have a server and it's dedicated, or you host a dedicated server. That's just me. I mean, is anybody else reading something else? I see this a little bit differently. Um, I'm seeing this a little bit more like World of Tanks, and as you said, people don't like us using that example, but when you go into that game, like when you hit launch, um, that's when everyone gets filed into a server, it just happens that they're going to have the server, but once you finish that game, you're sent back to the lobby. I don't know, maybe we can get a little bit more info from them, because Matt then states, Matt N states, lots of servers, lots and lots of servers. When I when I hear of a server, what I'm thinking is whether you're different servers basically feeding in information to a centralized hub instead of it all being on one server. Like... Uh, 
I don't think we're, it's we're like... We're getting into the weeds here with all these with technical talk. Let's talk about yeah. the gameplay perspective. That's the important thing here. You know, which node or server they're on when you launch the game, that doesn't really matter. Is the gameplay going to be persistent world? That's the, the key thing. Like, if your Lance launches, is that actually going to affect the balance of power beyond just the scoreboard? Um, are your damage are your damages going to be held over? Like, if you lose an arm for your mech, is it going to carry into the next game? Um, that sort of thing. Yeah. If it's if it's going to be split into multiple servers, are we going to have like server A where House Karita is dominating, server B where the Federated Sons is winning the war, that kind of thing, or will it actually be all in one universe? And I'm really hoping it's all in one universe. I hope yeah. that your game experience is going to be persistent, and it's not just a sing a series of skirmishes. Like yeah, I think what we're going to do is have to wait to sort of answer. Yeah, it's all well and good, and like you said, this, this sort of gameplay. This this question, it really doesn't lead to much. I mean, we, we talked about all that, you know, what really matters. If my mech gets, you know, damaged or destroyed, I have to, you know, repair it, and, you know, all those repairs transferred over to what's really going on, you know, out there. And so, like I said, let, let's, we touched on it, let's move on. And even the next one, uh, to be honest, uh, um, we're going to skip over that one. It talks about audio fidelity. And really, um, I'm not too concerned with that. I, I haven't ran into a, a recent game that's just been horrible. That being said, uh, you know, when something's like an AC-20 or something belches, you know, I want to basically jump out of my seat because I didn't see it coming or something. But other than that, so let's move on. Um, do you guys have any ideas if you'll be hitting any cons next year with early versions of the game and basically um, they said uh, yes future announcements will reveal uh, their marketing plans and they said they will be at key trade shows next year and that being said are any of you guys near some of the, where these big conventions happen have you guys oh, ever been to them I'm in Texas uh, so the big one up here would be QuakeCon have, have you been to one before uh, I've been invited. I haven't been. Let's say I don't like people. Well, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, dude. All right. Uh, well, I mean, would you guys go if one of these? I mean, I would. Oh yeah. I mean, obviously, if they're gonna do, oh, we're gonna have an unveiling and get to hands-on play uh, MWO. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll get over my fear of people and be there. And I'll yeah, bring I'll my get... camera. And hopefully, I'll bring it back to you guys. Otherwise, you know, they'll take my phone and never give it back to me. I challenge the listeners and the community. If there aren't any of these are out there, go all out. I mean, if you're part of a group and you're a clanner or whatever, dress up. You know, wear that full leather suit with fur and you know, or do whatever. I mean, just I think that would be really cool. This sort of you know resurgence in you know you've got all these other cosplay sort of you know going on. I well, now that I know what you're wearing, I'm going for sure. All right, man. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'll wear my brown leather. You wear the black. All right, so we'll move on. Um, definitely, we'll find out more info. I would be down for going, um, and you know, I think, I think that'd be cool. So, all right, here we go. Here we go. We got with the release time frame you have. Are you planning on releasing a fairly compact but well-developed game, netting lots of content and months to follow? Um, and they basically said what we just talked about. This sort of runs in. They're going to be releasing a game. 
And of course, they'll have, you know, like they said, ideal bi-weekly, um, um, you know, releases. And one of the key things out of all this, and the second question, or second answer is Matt and instead states, and I totally agree with this. In my mind, quality has always trumped quantity, uh, especially when you can continue to add content and respond to what the users want with updates. And you know, I know there's a lot of people out there, again, you trolls, just stay away, but people with a little bit of unsure with this, the, the dev team, that right there screams yes to me, as far as I would rather have good stuff come out and, and quality, you know, patches, quality updates, then, hey, we're going to get everything out there and then we're going to, you know, oh shit, well, we created, you know, a monster and now we got to go back. So... What, what are your guys' feelings on that? I know, let's just touch on this quickly. I think it would be hard. I mean, I'd be surprised if I heard anybody say, no, I prefer quantity over quality. Well, we do yeah, have those I, I think it'd community. be hard for a player to find that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and if you look at the... <laughs> look at what the CCP went through trying to do the uh, quantity over quality thing, and their game nearly imploded on them. Their flagship game. And are you talking now about they Marvel? have to, like... The Monocle Gate sort of capped it off, but eventually they had to fire a huge amount of staff and completely repurpose the company. Their name got dragged through the mud, and now it's like they're starting at square one. And even with all of the promising features and quality upgrades coming in their latest patch, players are like, man, it's better be in the patch notes because there is zero trust there. Don't blame them either. Yeah, and it's not, it, this first release isn't going to fix it. I really hope they're uh, also thinking about their summer release. Because and it's just amazing. And it speaks to the game, actually, that people enjoy the game so much they're willing to put up with it. Almost no player has a favorable opinion of the company that makes the game. They like the game that they refuse to leave. Some players don't care either way some players are a little ambivalent but most people actively dislike the company because of that quantity over quality strategy that they've employed for the past two three years and and so to sort of it's not on, worth it to sort of hit on real quickly uh if you don't know what happened i mean obviously eve is huge hundreds of thousands of you know people play um it, you know we're not going to get in details but it literally resulted in thousands of players uh, going and basically sieging NPC areas that uh, were not even supposed to be able uh, basically they, they, they were player riot. it shut <laughs> down like uh, they shut down the, the G I mean like in-game police that can like insta pop stuff they sh I mean thousands of people but and and CCP actually had to intervene and stop it because I mean and so taking to heart uh I, again you know i've got my trust into you know this group but you know your player base is important so again quality over quantity and uh you know be mindful hey we are going to be forking out money but you know if, if all i am is a dollar sign to you then you know uh you're, you're gonna have a problem i mean you know uh, enough of that so let's let's uh, monocle. yeah let's let's roll on to uh, the, the next, because we've already sort of touched on, and again, they'll be releasing, uh, uh, you know, 
new stuff all the time it seems like and you know until we get to that road and they prove us wrong all my faith is in them so um how long has the game been in development how far along is development um and basically they're asking you know is it just is the game on paper or is it in, you know being coded um and so paul basically stated the game has been in development for a short period of time following a fairly lengthy pre-production cycle um uh, you know depending on how many programmers they have the ease of the code the ease of the programming what they're implementing um they are using cryengine 3 we'll talk about that in a little bit um so matt c says the key goal with the release schedule is to release a solid chunk of core gameplay and content that reflects uh the pillars that have already been described beyond that they're very anxious to see how it's received by us the community um and then matt says uh not alpha yet but they don't use paper and one of the things i want to stifle and again I, i sort of hit on this is people were like oh what the hell you know game can't be good if it's only been in developed for eight months or it'll only be in developed for eight months guys the game hasn't been in developed he he stated clearly right there and if you know anything about game development i'd rather have a team that has a solid game document solid game documentation and, and structure implemented and, and designed than something rushed this thing has been going on since you know prior to the 2009 um you know trailer sort of video to get it you know uh attention so i mean do you guys feel that way do you feel that they're shooting for 2012 summer of 2012 is too soon um do you have a little bit of hesitation about that um not really to be honest i mean Eight months may seem like a short period of time, but if you have everything laid out already, it's just a matter of putting meat on the bones, so to speak. I think there's enough. And it's not like they're coding something completely from scratch. I mean, they have the intellectual heritage, this game development team, they have the intellectual heritage of all the good battle mech games that have come before it. So I think the uh, combination of their development skill the fact that this game has been so long in the making and the fact that they've got you know all this um, all this in-depth behind the scenes production and uh, lore knowledge of the Battletech universe and previous Battletech games I think gives them a big advantage I don't think summer uh, 2012 is that and it's it's ambitious I don't feel that it's gonna be rushed at all we might get to see a push back to the fall but and if they do, I'd be perfectly fine with that too. Whenever this game is coming out, I'm playing it. It's a done deal. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, maybe they take the Blizzard approach and say, "You guys will play it when we damn well want you to, and when it's ready." <laughs> so, you know, would you rather have them say that and then get all you know your feathers ruffled, or would you rather them rush something out and, and not get you? But I don't think they're going to be rushing. And uh, as long as it's not that Doom game that took forever, whenever it was Quake, Doom, Duke, Duke of Forever, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> it took him like all years to make it. A bit ironic. <laughs> so I, I think that's pretty straightforward. Let's move on to the next one. Now you guys can help me out on this because I actually don't know what this is. Maybe I need to Google this shit. But uh, the question is, do you have plans to support head tracking such as the popular in the sim community track IR 5.0? 
Uh, in previous facts, you have stated that it will be possible to destroy certain buildings in urban areas. What other types of destructible terrain are you planning on implementing? Now, first, do you guys know? I'm. I'm it's are, what, are it, it's what it sounds like? like. Yeah, like if you're sitting in a cockpit and uh, you turn your head left, then your view would turn left with, you know, in your cockpit. So is this like sort of simulating you being in like a, you know, Apache Cobra mm -hmm. sort of? Okay. Think, okay. Think, think the uh, Connect for the Xbox 360. Okay. Gotcha. All right. That's that's that what I like thought. Seems like a bit much for a free-to-play game, but maybe that's me. Uh, well, throw in compatibility with the old Steel Battalion com controls while you're at it, you know. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> they did say they will announce regarding technology partners. Obviously, that you know they are going to have something out there. Um, as far as destructible uh, environments, they basically said, "Hey, we want to blow shit up as much as you. We can't give you the details right now, but." You know, I think right there, if you look at the amount of detail in Battlefield 3, now granted it's a completely different engine, um, but you can sort of see the, the levels of detail. I mean, I, it, to use a phrase that, you know, I've heard so much in my short life is I would almost jizz in my pants if I fired an AC round, it hit a building, and it starts, you know, blowing chunks out of the, you know, concrete, and you can, I mean, and that's what happens in BF3 is, you know, uh, you know, it has reinforced concrete with rebar, rebar, and basically you start blowing it apart, and different parts come off, and next thing you know, the whole building falls on top of your head, and I think we already touched on that, and how epic that would be to, whether it happened to you, how awesome would that be for just a, a building, just to, just, yeah. Mm rhubarb <laughs> it's pretty awesome i'd say it's low in my priorities but yeah it would be cool it's icing on the cake and i wouldn't say it's expected today but with the technology out there and sort of you know the world of tanks does it well you 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 go out of your way to run over a tree you go out of your way to you know plow through a building and why um just because you can and it's just so you know rewarding and small stuff like that it adds to the sort of realism of you're actually in this combat war machine you've got these weapons you know you fire you miss it has you know an impact crater or it, you know it hits something in the you know background and it goes up in a ball of flames there's a lot of cool stuff that uh you know the crying engine crying engine 3 will be able to do so i'm sure you guys let's let's move on i don't think we all have to say how awesome we want to see this game as far as visually and the explosions and shit so yeah all right so the next question is will the mech warrior that is the player avatar within the mech be subject to any particular effects during the missions injury resulting from hits to the battle mech's head falling ammo explosions injury as the result of electronic shock from the feedback through the neuro helmet and or prolonged extreme overheating of a mech um, now, before I read the answers, Darren and, and some of you guys, long-standing, before we even read off the answers, would you want those sort of effects to happen? You know, you could your mech work and pass out. You can, I mean, does that mean shut down? I mean, would you want that sort of effects to to occur? Why are you deferring to me? What What is my special attribute? Well, you, you know, you've read, you know, a ton of novels. You've been there since, like, you know, the, you know. <laughs> so this the, is the another start. opportunity for you to call me old. That's okay. Um, I'm just yes, saying. I I do like those. I mean, I of course, you know, <clears throat> I like the the novels are a big part of my BattleTech universe, and 
um, you know, obviously pilots overheated themselves, blacked out, whatever. Um, so that just adds more elements of realism. Again, I think it's just a matter of if they do these things right, then I think it's going to be awesome. Um, if they just do it for the sake of doing it, then I don't know, it could have different results. I would like to... I mean, I would like to see it. I don't think they need to go nuts with it. Simple as, uh, if you get hurt, maybe there's some blurred vision, maybe you've got, like, blood splatter different places. Uh, if you overheat too much too frequently, maybe your character does pass out and your mech just stands there. Yeah, but, yeah, some sort of physical effect. I mean, your, your view screen getting staticky when you overheat has been a staple of the MechWarrior games, and I, I think that's good. Having the, like, having a slowly, your your vision go from, like, full view to, like, your eyes are half-closed, or you, you know, there's like, you a, hear a ring of blackness bubble. around your view. <laughs> Something like that would be fun and add a lot of immersion. Yeah, yeah that's all I'm just... I'm not too... I'm sorry. That's all just oh, realism yeah. and adds to the immersion. You know, the more like I like the blurred vision that you see in a lot of games nowadays, and and blood or whatever. Um, it's again though, it's just a matter of them doing it right and not going overboard. You know. Okay. And to sort of let's answer it. The they basically said they are going to continue to investigate what they can do. Uh, but one of the key things, just sort of like what you just said, is providing a a difference between providing detail and obscuring gameplay and HUD information and that's one of the problems is when you start doing that sort of fade in fade out it does affect what you can do and see and you know accomplish on the screen so um, and yeah, that's the, the point yeah yeah and, and it's understandable but remember they're also developing a balance so you know it may be light maybe yeah. heavy, you know we don't know um, and then the second one to the risk of dying they basically said the mech warrior, your avatar, the, the mech warrior you create won't take any sort of damage and it's not like if you get your mech gets cockpitted you actually die. Now some of you guys may be crying, oh gosh, you know, but remember this is a game, um, obviously you're going to be knocked out of combat, you know, uh, so it's not like you actually have to restart because you know you're going to have skills involved and whatnot. Um, that would maybe be a cool option for you know hardcore or something players to I don't know I mean you know you spend how much time and then you lose it all because you just got killed uh, you know maybe down the road who knows but um they did say if you get shot with an AC twenty in the head <laughs> the hula girl has real hula girl physics <laughs> and that is fun. time we learned that Matt N is a troll <laughs> <laughs> um. So, you know, uh, I think it's cosmetic, it'd be cool, uh, I think they'll have a layer of it, I don't think it'll be too crazy, again, uh, it's just one of those things that, with today's games, you know, we expect a little bit, much like uh, Suppression Fire and BF3, you know, your your vision gets, you know, messed up, or, you know, other games when you get shot, you know, blood splatters, and, you know, then your vision clears, who knows, um, it'd be interesting to sort of see the, how the heat affects your mech, and visuals, and um, shutdowns and whatnot. So let's move on because uh, you know we just hit the one hour mark and we don't want you guys falling asleep who are listening to this. So big question, and we talked about this before, and uh, they were short and simple on it. Will you have PVE elements on MechWarrior Online? And uh, Brian says not at launch. 
We're looking at ways to incorporate P PVE post-launch and within the framework of the MWO concept. So right off the bat, I don't think... It, let's not touch on that because we already have, if, if you didn't uh, listen to the previous podcast, but it basically involves our idea and concept of it or sort of speculation would be PVE would be really, really... Uh, it would work really well with the clan invasion. Um, and right then there they said they're not incorporating, so it's something we don't have to worry about right off the bat. Pretty straightforward question. So um, let's move on to the next one. And this is, uh, I think this is a, a good topic. And I've, I've actually seen something on the forums. And it's, uh, what difficulties have you heard, have you had transferring the mechanics from the tabletop game to the PC game? And what mechanics have you had to change or modify it? Since this is a reboot, will history change in game? Or do you mean to reboot the same way as a movie franchise is rebooted? Um, okay. Their answer, Paul Andes. He basically said uh, there's a misconception uh, about this idea. And he says that while MechWare Online does refer to Battletech for historical and canon reference, it does not mean that it's a direct port of the tabletop rules to a video game. The tabletop rules are laid out to make sense for a turn-based strategy game. Some of those rules don't apply when dealing with real-time game environments. So, you know, we talked about this. MWL had to do this. You know, people were screaming foul. It just doesn't work, guys. Now, some concepts, some ideas do, but you know they're going to come up with a system that works for the game and so what are your guys thoughts about that let's just touch on it lightly um you know that them having to come up and it's not going to be tabletop and, and you're going to see a difference of numbers or you know hit points or you know weapon values or heat and is that a big deterrent to you now as long as they make it fun and balanced that's what i think most people are looking for but. Yeah, I think I think people um, cry for CBT rules in uh, these games a lot, but I think if they really saw how that played out, they wouldn't be wanting it. Well, I mean, yeah. you know, same arguments happen in MWL. I know there, and we talked about this before. There's a ton of you out there that haven't played MWL. This is the challenge they've met and they had to do, and it's not like they went crazy and, and you know, they had to create a system that was you know semi-based around canon, but it's not just like the tabletop it's got to be mean, playable and it's got to be balanced and that's a hard thing to do exactly i mean there's just always going to be some things in the tabletop that just aren't transferable into a game setting like a video game you know greg what do you think about this we'll just touch on this a little bit more i think he's dead um i'm here um i i want it to feel like battletech it's not enough that it's just bones and just fun it is a now battletech the tabletop or battletech the novel experience or there's the universe uh, yeah there's a the difference the, the universe i mean it, okay. obviously that'd be a little more uh, the novels have always been a little bit more important to me on a uh on a personal level the board game is great but uh how awesome is <laughs> all that entire novel universe saying that's where the real drama and emotional attachment for battletech happened for me so i hope that's where it's going but MechWarrior 4 and the Xbox mech-like release, which I think is called Mech Assault, uh, they did not feel like Battletech for me, and that was a big visceral disconnect and reason that I did not enjoy them. So, 
I, I totally agree. And one of the things to think about when we're talking about this this change, you know, I'm a, I'm a Battletech fan, love the board game, love, love the novels. Well, let's put in perspective, AC-20, you hit with an AC-20, does 20 points of damage, you know. It, okay, it does wrecking amounts of damage. If you just have that in game where if you get hit by an AC-20, it doesn't matter what type of damage, it doesn't matter if the values are 20, 40, whatever number system they come up with, if it does a wrecking amount of damage, it's the same principle. And so think about that, the principle and mechanics. It may not be exact numbers. It may not be exact how it, you know, is described in the tabletop or how it's done. But if it has sort of the same effect or, you know, principle mechanic, then why complain? Uh, it's the same thing. And again, they have to create and take a, uh, a turn-based strategy, uh, you know, idea into an actual, you know, three-dimensional, you know, combat scenario. So... You know, uh, let's move on from there. Uh, well, before I leave, uh, the last thing is the, the hardest thing David said um, throughout all this, any difficulty, is the the melee combat. And right now, they're still trying to figure out if they can do it or they can't do it right now. Um, they're not going to tackle until they know they can do it right. And again, that screams to me is they're not going to just come up with some hodgepodge, you know, crap and, and throw it together, uh, you know. It'll be on that back burner, whether they can do it or not, and uh, they'll, they'll do it again. So let's roll on to the next one. Um, even though I know a lot of you guys would love to DFA and donkey punch, you know, uh, <laughs> a Warhawk with your Big Ben Atlas and all that, well, uh, I mean, I'm right there with you. I mean, even the Hatchetman as well. Yeah, and, and we talked about that, you know, are some variants going to... Anyways, listen to the podcast, and I think you'll catch up. So, all right, next one. Um... And, and this is sort of funny. I know the original trailer had a Warhammer in it. So will the reboot have the unseen, reseen, or will it, the 12 not be seen at all? And one of the things, if you guys, if you're not, if you're listening to this and you don't know what the unseen or reseen are, don't feel bad. Um, you can check it out at sarna.net. We've got that link up. Um, uh, go ahead, check it out. It, it's I'll, basically I'll tell some you of not the, to feel bad. You should. Well, okay. As, as a <laughs> hardcore fan yeah you suck at life no but some of the designs that you guys just, know uh, just means you're a baby yeah marauder yeah whatever old man we're all <laughs> we're ch children to you but um the marauder rifleman phoenix hawk stinger i mean a ton of mechs basically the, the 12 um there's been reseen versions of those again check them out sarna.net project phoenix blah, blah blah you can read all into that but basically, Matt's answer was, I remember that trailer, and I don't think there was a Warhammer in there. It says, I think it was an urban mech. Man, I love those trash cans. So one, he's got a good sense of humor. And one of the things I think uh, that I read on the forum somewhere is that the image of the original Warhammer to the one that was in the trailer was different enough from the actual Tiro art that it didn't exactly match. And on top of that, uh, someone threw up of, oh, hey, you know, the Atlas that, you know, Flying to Breeze made wasn't the same Atlas as the Atlas in the trailer. Well, guys, the trailer in 2009 was a pitch demo trailer to attract attention uh, that w that says in-game footage. That doesn't mean it was a built-in game. It was basically a scripted with in-game UDK graphics um, that was scripted and done. Um, obviously, uh Flying Debris Atlas is completely different. So that's why there's a difference there. So 
what do you guys think about the rescenes, unseens? Uh, I already know Darren's answer. Yeah, I'm not going to answer this. Yeah, we already know. I already know Phil's answer. <laughs> that, uh, th they're going to be amazing, and he really trusts the development team. Yes. <laughs> I love Flying Debris' work. And let's give another shout-out to that guy. Again, he's posted on our Facebook. We love you. You're awesome. I just, yeah. Um, Learn to draw, man. Yeah, I suck at life <laughs> at that. So. I can model, but that's pretty much it. So not even that well. Um, so Ben, are you familiar? I mean, are you pro unseen, re-seen? You don't give a shit as long as Flying Breeze does it, and he's gonna make it awesome. Seeing, well, I mean, what's going on? Uh, they're pretty iconic. They're gonna be in there. I'm pretty sure every time somebody brings up, you know, Harmony Gold. Going back to, if you guys don't know what the unseens are, you probably don't know what Harmony Gold is either. But if, there are times when it brings up the questions like that. The answer's always been, those guys have not been an issue. We're not worried about that. So that pretty much indicates to me that they have some type of plan to incorporate into the game somehow. And like you guys said, I trust these dev teams. I, I trust these artists to make good on making it feel like these mechs, which were not originally from the Battletech universe, feel like they should be in a Battletech universe. And to sort of give you a heads up, our, our audio editor, Alex... He has no idea what the unseen recings are, and don't worry, we'll be beating him accordingly. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't really care. Uh, we've talked about in link and the other podcasts about the unseen recing, and um, I've got faith in FD. And uh, to be honest, I'd like to see his touch on you know, it, you know, I don't really care what's been out there, and uh, I think that'll work. So let's move to the next question because we got a little bit left to to cover. Um, now I'm going to skip over the next one but we're going to go and he says in regards to the Unseen does this mean we will see the Marauder Archer and the rest of the Unseens will they become original formats the Rescenes or will they be Alex's own variations and we just talked about this and basically the answer is we are going to make uh, if we are going to make any mech it's going to go through Alex's treatment so boom you know right I mean? there uh, yeah so I, I FD does some amazing work, man, and I just want to say right now, uh, I love the picture of the thorn you did. I just want to say that right now. I had to say it so, somewhere. <laughs> yeah, 4chan. Um, so one of the things with that is, stands out to me, is he is the only one doing the mech concept, which I'm perfectly happy about. So uh, let's move on to the next one. Um, now, this is a pretty lengthy question, but basically the gist of it is... Uh, you know, the Battletech universe, it's set in stone as far as what happens in the novels and other, you know, elements and whatnot. But, he says, reboot can mean many things to many people from changing the entire storyline, system, and everything else to just making small changes here and there. Um, his question is, does reboot mean to you and the creators of this game? Like, what does it mean? Uh, what do you plan on rebooting? The entire game world, you know, ground up, blah, blah, blah. Um... Uh, for Matt says, for me it means the mechs get a visual overhaul and the gameplay is tweaked to mitigate. And this is what he means by mitigate. He says, always knowing where the enemy is. And that becomes an arms race and circle strafing and legging being too viable. And that's those things he wanted to get rid of. Um, Paul's response was uh, the opportunity to bring back the franchise both graphically and gameplay and bring that you know to new light. Um, 
it, he says, yeah, the other Mech Warriors, they were fun. Um, there's lots of nostalgia when you, you know you think back to it. Um, he said, the cool thing about being the designer of this project is the ability to keep that sense of nostalgia while bringing forth modern gaming features. Uh, let's face it, when we played Mech 4, the online community and games in general was completely different from what it is today. Um, so, you know, think about that. Um, he also goes into this little detail, which hasn't been done ex uh, Mech Warrior wise as sort of was done Mech Commander, but he says leveling, skill trees, persistence, and this is one thing you'll like, Greg, economy tracking and stat tracking are just some of the features that we all love and would love to see in the MechWare Online. It's really a chance to add those features to a game that we're all familiar with that really round out the experience as a whole. Um, so right then and there, he's sort of, you know, we've talked about the leveling or, or, you know, speculation on that, but he does hint towards that persistent and economy, and that's been a big topic uh, the last time we had Greg on the show. So, More than uh, anything... I mean, economy is great. I think that'll be fun. More than anything, conquerable territory with advantages and disadvantages for holding it. That's what I think the Battletech universe in the game perspective has been missing ever since um, multiplayer Battletech 3025, which we talked about on one of the earlier podcasts. It was a beta. It was a revamp of multiplayer Battletech Solaris. It was the same basic idea where you had stock mechs. Um, there was no customization. You could get variants. And it was a skirmish system, a match type system where you queued up. And there, when there were four players to each side, you just win. But your wins and losses were counted. There was a large universe map. And it wasn't like you fought over every planet. You fought over regions. But uh, each empire had maybe like four or five conquerable sectors and every day was a friggin war to control those things now they didn't actually do anything but because it was Battletech everyone sort of had an RP element to them and that they were proud of whatever house they were fighting on so it felt nice when you were House Karita and you were conquering parts of the Sarna March and that was great um, yeah <laughs> if you were uh, Capellan and you were you know, trying to stave off the Davian invasion it was awesome that is what I felt that the Battletech universe, from a game perspective, has been missing to this point. I'm really hoping that that is taken to heart, because I think that will be the single most... That will have the greatest longevity from a gameplay perspective. Getting these players invested in the idea of galactic conquest over these territories that, through our familiarity with this universe, we have an emotional attachment to already. They don't have to do much to try to get us to want to fight over this stuff. And I think that the human drama of conquering, losing, regaining this territory will keep the game going long after they produce their last mech. I couldn't say it any better. <laughs> I, yeah, concur. Yeah. Anybody else? I just really like the mention of how economy is going to be a factor. The nitty, the gritty, all the little details. Are we going to get them? Are we going to, you know, is it simplified? Is there a simple and advanced version? 
we'll find out, guys. So let's let's go ahead and move on to uh, the next question. It says, from the dev blog on the reboot, what do you mean by solve some of the long-standing gameplay issues from previous MechWarrior games? Now, we already heard, um, you know, from the previous one to always knowing where your enemy is, the arms race, circle strafing, and legging being too viable. Um, now, Paul says, for me, it's been the open expanses of flat terrain that evolved into strafing madness. Completely agree. We, we hit on it. There, it, you know, whether it was limitations of the engines or you know hardware or whatnot, it just we haven't got this sort of scale of this is an actual world. You know, if you're walking, you know, just haven't got that. And then he says, while we'll still be a part of the game, our new environments will allow us to uh, curtail the type of gameplay while opening up new avenues of explanation exploration information warfare bringing every class of mech to the front lines of combat he says yes you will be able to form a team of all of salt class mechs but you're going to end up as fodder to a coordinated team of mixed class mechs and an orchestrating commander and right there that screams awesomeness to me because you know when you're running around you have to be mindful of you know your surroundings uh you know when in we're in Iraq, we're in our tank, you know, our, our, our uh, driver couldn't be just driving everywhere. I was on my 240 up, you know, in the hatch. I had to know what was going on around me. It's not like, you know, uh, I just had to focus right in front of the tank. Situational awareness, knowing where you are at all times, where you're going, where you're going to end up going, where your enemy's going to end up going. All that plays an effect of everything, setting up shots, setting up, you know, ambushes and all that. And that just... I don't know about you guys, but that just just gets me going of all the ideas and, and thoughts and future gameplay. And just, yes. Yes. That's, yeah, yes. I approve of this message. Uh, I don't think anyone else could put it better themselves. <laughs> right. I'm going to reserve judgment on that because to me, yes, when they talk about uh, using a lot of urban warfare to break up terrain, that makes sense. But when you get out of the urban combat area because let's face it they're not going to all the maps going to be all in the cities you're going to you're going to have some in the mountains you're going to have some on the plains uh it's going to that right there i just need some more information on because at the same time yeah let's say we make a whole a team of assault mechs and then we go against this mixed lance that's coordinated well at the same time what gives them the ability to outclass these assault mechs is it their environment is it because they're coordinated? I mean, just because you have coordination doesn't mean you have the firepower to take somebody down. Honestly, to me, when they say they're going to open up avenues of exploration, that means different elevations to me. That's something that has not been really done super well in MechWarrior games so far. Well, it, it was done even in MechWarrior 4. I mean, Rolling Hills, I remember uh, certain maps, those grasslands, they did have hills that when you're down in the valleys, you can be seen. But one of the problems is, it, it, you know, not all environments are going to have trees. Not all of them are going to have rocks. Not all of them are going to have buildings. But, you know, in a real-world environment, you walk out your door, you know, I live in North Carolina. There's hills everywhere, but there's also trees everywhere. You know, it's one of those things that when you start throwing in these, the environment plays a huge part of just, you know. And, and when you read the novels, you know, you talk, you hear about uh, light mechs and medium mechs, even heavies. You know, you're engaging, you're engaging, you're engaging, and the enemy or you are taking too much damage, and you dodge to the left around the trees, and you're gone, you disappear. I remember reading that in The Great Death. I mean, all, all the novels have that. 
And that's the experience we've never had. Mech 4, you didn't have that. Mech 4, it was cartoony, you didn't. It was just all just open, flat expanse, like he said. And I think that... But I do agree with you, Ben. Um, how How is that assault class, you know, Lance, going to get taken out? Is it because they don't have the radar? Is it because they're having already dropped on them? Uh, because, you know, they don't have those sensors to relay that information warfare? We don't know yet, so... Uh... Well, if it's four versus four... I don't think there is any reason that four light mechs should be able to kill four assault mechs unless they do some kind of amazing job where they separate them out and manage to isolate one assault mech at a time till they could bring them down. But a mixed group, I could maybe see where there's a light mech and maybe two heavies and a medium somehow coordinating with one another to take them out. But I mean, an assault mech. As much as I don't want to have everyone in them walking around, you still have to... They still have to be respectable, especially at the time frame that this game is coming out at. An assault mech is a big fucking deal. They were so expensive and so rare. If you ran into an Atlas, you probably weren't going to get out alive. <laughs> yeah, but, but that you never was the saw, experience. In regards to military and, and novels, that's why you know you have a lance. That's why you have a group of mechs because an assault just by itself. I mean, yeah, it's it's awesome. It's got a lot of power, but it's vulnerable. And I, one of the things I want to touch on is rear armor. In my opinion, this uh, mechs have had too much armor. You know, they can take an, a full PPC shot in their you know ass or or an AC or something like that, and they sort of shrug it off. Yeah, they can. I mean, that's one thing that I think is, is a key element to light max or medium or even fast-moving heavies, getting in the rear of someone, taking a few shots and getting the hell out of dodge. I mean, uh, if you've got a two-on-one scenario, they're going to have their... I mean, if you know what you're doing, you can get their back tor turned towards one of them. may not be for long, may not, you know. So I think that's where some of the smart playing strategy might come in mind, come in, come in handy, I should say. All right, so the next question. Um, let's see, we've got beyond being online and persistent, how will MWO bring the MechWare concept forward? Or will it be the same simple stuff, just updated? Secondly, will the game be more sim-like than previous titles uh, than show the Baron cockpits and play like driving tanks in first-person games? And uh, I love the response on this. Um, uh, Paul says, we used to throw around a tagline here at Piranha. This is not your father's MechWarrior. There are so many aspects of gameplay that are being added to MechWarrior line that the game will feel different in a very good way. Um, so this isn't our, my MechWarrior? It didn't... Grandpa, dude. Not, not father. <laughs> Shit, dude. <laughs> Alright. Uh, our ability to feedback information to a player has evolved drastically since the last MechWarrior title. Um, this includes updated HUD displays, cockpit displays, and if you have the toys, force feedback, and more. Awesome. Um, the cockpit's not barren. It's not just going to be these, you know, uh, shapes of geometry and just, you know, textures put onto them. Um, uh, they're implementing new technology to allow you to look at various instrument panels. Ooh, they might have ended. Um, and get tactical information by doing so. Um, combat between mechs shouldn't be just spotting an enemy and shooting. Uh, logistics. 
battlefield awareness should play a role as well as considering your piloting a massive powerhouse in the combat. So right there, I think that sort of answers in some of the hints of technology. Not to mention, there are going to be times when you're not just shooting, but you're just gathering information and relaying that possibly to someone. Mm -hmm.